Listening to Country Life with Morgan O'Flaherty on Western Rick 102 FM. Western Rick 102 FM. I'm your host, Morgan O'Flaherty with Country Life. On the phone with us this morning, we have Tony Darmody, and Tony's talking to us about Rinalds. Tony, how are you doing? I'm very good, Morgan. How are you doing? Good to hear from you. Not so bad, Tony. Tony, first of all, thank you very much for, for coming on with us and giving us the time. Well, I am absolutely delighted to us. I have not the greatest knowledge uh, on Renal cars, but I, look, I've driven them for years and I know a little bit about them, so I'm delighted to talk about them. You're, you, Tony, you, to be honest, you came highly recommended. Is that right? That's but you right. Know, with, with, with friends like that, who needs enemies? No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like when <laughs> one fellow said to me, he said, I said, I've only one friend, and he said, There's enough. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very yeah, true. Yeah. Although the, the man you're speaking of a sound. Yeah, yeah, he's a nice man, actually. He's been with us here a couple of times before. We're talking about uh, Dave Kern. Dave done a few bits there with us, if I was in the middle of towards the end of last year. Yeah, um, that, uh, Dave's a lot of knowledge of cars, and he's. Uh, He's he's hugely interested in them and uh, in the literature around cars and generally he has answers and responses to to most queries people would have. You know he has yeah without doubt. I remember one time I I actually sent him um, a number to the number plate of a tractor and yes. I just said we'll say one two three four A I N whatever the number was and yes. he texted me back within within less than ten minutes and he said. Uh, Ross Common, and he said that's a David Brown tractor. That's right, no, because I had a similar query there one time, and uh, like that, I came across a, a car, and I thought I recognised it, but I wasn't sure, and I sent them the number like that. Now, I had the seed breeding generation of it back in about five minutes. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> and I, I'm still not too sure how he done it, but sure, look, he has his ways and means. <laughs> Well, I suppose, Margaret, when he's dealing with the likes of you and me, he could be cutting us up to where I was. Yeah, 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 sure. Look, uh, he could have a drone flying over the house. Like. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. As you said earlier, he's a sound guy. Very good guy. He's a sound man. We, we, we won't talk ill of him while we're on the radio, and we wait till we come off, Tony. That's true, that's yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, tell me, I suppose, Renault, like, you, you were telling me there before we came on air or whatever, he did... You kind of always had Renaults. You had Renaults for a long time, anyway. I did. As, as a young fella, way back in the in the in the sixties, um, my second car was a Renault, a Renault Ten. Mm-hmm. My first car was a Volkswagen, but my second was a Renault Ten. And you know, Renaults were very much ahead of their time, very comfortable, very lively, and mm-hmm. uh, that happened to be a rear engine car, which was. Uh, you know, for me, it was quite unusual. But uh, I kind of fell in love with Reynolds after that. And I followed that at the 10 up with uh, a 12 and a 14. I had two 12s, actually, and a 14. But then I, I changed to Mazda sometime after that and uh, stayed with Mazda. But um, I would have more interest in the kind of the 50s, 60s and 70s uh, Reynolds than I would have in the modern ones. Because like most modern cars, unless you have some way of plugging into something, you don't know what yeah. to do with it. Yeah, yeah, John, you said there about plugging into something. I had a car there a couple of years ago and the engine went in it. And mm. it was to keep costs down. Um, no, it wasn't a very modern car, but to keep costs down. My mechanic said to me, he said, look, come back to me. He said, take off all the plastics and take off all this stuff, he said. And I'll just be able to change the engine then straight away. 
I was about definitely half to three quarters of the day taking off these plastic cowlings and yeah. these plastic covers over the engine. Like compared to the Renaults that we're talking about, you could have actually stood in alongside the engine. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I often joke with fellas, you know, with the with the British cars, if you're a flat screw driver and a half in spinner, you can do most jobs. And with the the European cars, if you have a, a Phillips screwdriver and a, and a 13 mil spanner, you can do most jobs, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because all the all the cars that time, not alone Renault, they all came with their own toolkit. They did, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, they were kind of designed to... Uh, to keep your keep going to be able to do bits and pieces on the side of the road with them as well and I suppose at that time too unlike I suppose the current gen, the modern generation we learned a little bit about car maintenance I suppose we yeah. had to because uh, if we wanted to keep the cars on the road we didn't have the money to be bringing them to garages or to mechanics or anything else yeah. but yeah. you did most of the stuff yourself you know you did yeah you had no other choice and um, like you, you really only went to the garage if it was a serious issue right very, absolutely, very... yeah, absolutely. Well, in fact, I, as I recall it, uh, in my time anyway, we, we kind of had mechanics who were moon, moonlighting or whatever, but I don't think I ever brought a car to a garage, you know, to get a job done. You'd have somebody who called the house, you'd, you'd bring it down to his house for a service or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's, that was it, like, and and yeah. the, you you kind of booked it in about a week before because there was no mobile yeah. phones. And that's right. you met him and you said, you, you'll bring, I'll bring my Renault to you and... That was it, and he was waiting That's for right. and th- that was it, the job was done, and away he yeah. went. That's right, I remember one guy there, he used to do a bit of work on, on the Reynolds, as it turned out, and he, he introduced him to, to multi-bidibinum high sulfite grease. And you know, if you, I, grease to me was, you know, it was grease here, you, you, you put it in, but, uh, but this fellow anyway, insisted on using multi-bidibinum high sulfate, and that was his big boast anyway, that he never used ordinary grease, he used this multi-bidibinum grease. But um, that's my memory of uh, yeah. kind of a funny incident anyway, you know, in relation yeah. to the servicing of the cars. Yeah, I, I have a I have a very funny incident. Um, I can top your incident. Um, I will mention no names. We probably know him. You'll probably definitely know his brother. Um, right. A fellow from camp. My father... <laughs> My father gave him a Renault 12 to service. And the Renault 12 went back. And the following Saturday night, we were in mass. Um, and we met the, this individual. And he needed a Renault 12 as well. And yes. of course, I'm talking going back now in the late 80s and the early 90s, probably mid 80s even. And yes. of course, you had to go to mass. That, wasn't, mm-hmm. that was non-negotiable. And this oh, this fellow landed to mass with no windows in his car. Right. And I can remember we saw the car and we, we kind of said, what what happened, Tom? And he, of course, he said nothing. He, he got a fit of laughing and he went away and there was no more thought of it. But he was fixing my father's car. But what, yes. what turned out actually happened was he had my father's car parked at the gable of his house. And right. there was a storm that night. And the storm knocked the caravan upside down on top of oh. my father's car and, oh, bro- and broke the five or six windows in the car. Oh, now, goodness. Your man was able to straighten the roof and he was able to put all the windows out of his car into my father's car. But he couldn't get replacement windows fast enough to be able to go to Mass Saturday night. Yeah. So himself and the wife and the three kids 
they all went to mass and they're in all 12 with no windows. <laughs> that's good, all right. But yeah. you know something? That's, it, it, that's, that was then. And if that was today, your car would be parked up for weeks while some fellow was trying to get windows in from someplace <laughs> remote. But like <laughs> the things we did, you know, the things we, I remember like in a particular evening, my brother there, uh, it taking a mini, an engine out of a mini and putting another 1100 engine in and heading off the slide on the same night. And he did that out in about four hours, four or five hours. Yeah, and, yeah. You no, know, so they were the kind of things uh, we did. But we had no choice but to keep them going. But yeah. uh, they, were, they were enjoyable, you know. But uh, do you know what? Like that now, I, I have a bit of a memory as well, uh, uh, changing a gearbox in a Volvo 340. And if, you, uh, if you're familiar with the Volvo 340, the gearbox is actually on the back axle, we call it. Right. And I remember myself and my buddy were going place, going someplace. I think we might have been going to the Stradbelly Vintage Rally. And right. we were going yeah. over the road and there was a whine out of the gearbox. So right. we, we turned around. It was a very simple operation. There was probably 10 Allen keys on either side are going in off the drive shafts. And there was one yeah. big long shaft coming back from the engine. And the linkages, like, like your story, we had the whole gearbox changed out of the Volvo in about two and a half hours. Oh, yeah. And that, we that hit was... the road up for Stradbury again. And another thing, I remember that evening as well, we, 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 we gathered together whatever few pounds we had. We were going camping. And we yeah. went back to the local petrol pumps and camp, which was bowlers at the time. Right. And we, we filled the car of petrol. We, we had about, we say, 40 pounds to fill the car of petrol. But the, yes. 12 pounds filled the car. But the gauge was obviously wrong. And at the, up, up until that point, we were putting in fivers and tenors and everything. But I think about right. twelve pound filled the car to the stop like. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. And talking about Bowler, that place is derelict now. I think that place is derelict yeah. now, and yeah. you know, it is actually Very something sad. I must take a note of, and I must go back and take a photograph of the place because yeah. it'll yeah. just be demolished, and no one will ever even know it was there eventually. Well, that is true, you know, but I mean, it's typical of lots of places like that that were very much part of the local community, but with people becoming more mobile and shops getting bigger yeah, and all the rest yeah, of the, yeah. the last... Talking about, talking about, you know, incidents, I remember with the Renal 10, particularly with the rear engine, having to put a couple of concrete blocks or a, or a bag of cement in the front of it to keep it down if you were going on a long journey. Oh my God, you know, yeah. They're, 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 not that she'd lift... But the steering would be almost, uh, it was certainly it was uh, a way better than power steering anyway. But a couple of br- bricks or a couple of blocks or, uh, or a bag of cement or something was a bad job to keep them down, you know. Yeah, and of course, we said that when it was a rear engine, was there seats in the back as well or was it only a two-seater? Or... Oh, no, she was a four-seater car. Oh, yeah. she, uh, the precursor of that one was the uh, Renault D. It came out around 1962 or something like that yeah. and then it developed into the 10. Uh, and uh, they were a fantastic car, very, very comfortable. They would have been a very comfortable four-seater, but they would have been nominally a five-seater, you know. They would have been a little yeah. family car. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I remember, actually, the, the filler cap for the petrol and those is in the engine compartment at the back. And I remember pulling into a... I was coming back from Galway, and I pulled into a, a pumps on the side of the state, a bit, uh, side of the road, a bit like Bowler's, uh, and to get petrol and your man opened it up and he says I can't put petrol in there he says that engine is white hot now, I was after Freddie Scott in the road from Galway all right yeah. and I had to wait I had to wait for 10 minutes before he put the, the heat attempt to put the petrol in because it, the, the engine was right beside the filler cap you know yeah yeah health and safety and wouldn't uh, wouldn't health, sign off from the today like 
<laughs> one last thing. Well, that, that's what I was thinking. Health and safety, when you were talking about the gearbox, in health and safety today, you wouldn't be taking it out in two hours. Oh, the no, no. <laughs> you, 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 just, you wouldn't even have the plastic coals around it after two hours. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But, no, yeah. but I suppose, uh, Renault will say, I suppose, no, I was actually doing a bit of, we'll call it Googling this evening. Yes. I was. Even in my own head today, I was thinking about it before I spoke to you. I said, like, you know, Renault, compared to, we'll say, 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, 40 years ago even, there's very, very few Renaults in Ireland. Um, But I was Googling there this evening, and I actually came across a very interesting article um, that Renault actually outsold, I'm looking for it here this minute, um, Renault outsold the... For the most production, the most car- sold cars, the Renault Clio outsold the Volkswagen Golf in May of this year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't know whether that is what, what the reason for it is, but uh, the Clio is a nice car, and yeah. uh, there have been so many variations of it down the line now. But they're a very popular car, although I think it'll be very hard to surpass the success of the Golf. I think the Golf is probably one of the all-time yeah. great in terms of its uh, durability. I think you're on you know, the phase six or seven of the Golf now, what I mean. Uh, they're a fantastic car. Uh, yeah, a fantastic car. They are but, a beautiful car. Uh, but going back, going back to Renault there, Mark, I mean, Renault, the Renault company is nearly 130 years old now. I think it was sometime in the in the 1890s or something like that that it was, um, it was set up. And I mean, it's nearly 130 years later, it's still flying the Renault flag. Yes, and yeah. Uh, yeah, despite the fact that you know, it had amalgamated the different companies, Volvo being one of them, and it had cars manufactured, in, or not manufactured, but assembled in American various other places. They're still producing quality cars. And back, you know, the, I suppose, I, I don't know enough for that about the pre-war cars, but certainly the 4CV, which is a rear-engine car, which came out, I think, or sometime in the late 40s, maybe 46 or 7, I think it was developed secretly during the war. And, I mean, that car was a fantastic um, setup for Renault and a great rally car. And, indeed, uh, there are Gardini versions of that car as well. And there's a good following for 4CV, particularly in England. Yeah. And uh, the 4CV then was followed by the Dauphine. And, again, a very successful uh, car, although I remember you with as a young fella, my father, Arby Goodtroom, had hired one to take me to do a scholarship exam somewhere, mm-hmm. and uh, a brand new Renault Dauphine, and we were driving along the road, and I could smell smoke, and didn't the wiring loom under the dash uh, uh, melt, or, you know, so we pulled into a garage somewhere, I can't down the country, and the guy just disconnected whatever it was, it might have been the wipers or something, but she went yeah. down. But the, the Dauphine were a fine car too, and again, uh, the Gardini version of the Dauphine was a very uh, successful rally car. And uh, a Renault Dauphine Gardini now today would probably make twelve or fourteen thousand, uh, yeah. maybe even more. You know, yeah. they're they're very solid after. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, Tony, we might cut your shot there for two seconds, or we might go to a quick ad break if that's okay with yourself. That's perfect. Work away there. Thank we'll, you. We'll come back after these. Hi, you folks. You're tuned to West Limerick. Um, really, I'm Morgan O'Flaherty. We're talking to Tony Dermot and we're speaking about Renault. Um, we'll come back to you after these. Hi, you folks. You're very welcome back. You're tuned to West Limerick 102 FM. I'm your host, Morgan O'Flaherty with Country Life. Um, on the phone with us this morning, we have Tony Darmody. 
And Tony's talking to us about Rinald. And just before the ad break, we were talking about, I suppose, were we talking, Tony, that how, I suppose, luxurious in one way the Rinald car was and how ahead of their time they were, really and truthfully. That's very true. I mean, the Rinald would, would have been... Uh, Renault, as a car manufacturer, would have been very innovative. They would have been always ahead of the curve, as indeed were many other French cars. I mean, uh, Citroën, for example, with their DS would have been very much ahead of the curve. But the French seem to have that edge uh, in relation to design. But one of the big things with the, uh, the Renault was the comfort of the seats. And even in the 10, go back to the 60s, uh, the 10 had a very, very comfortable seat. You wouldn't get out of it feeling tired in that. And then mm-hmm. you, you go on then to the the... the the 12, the 16, all of those cars, they were super luxury cars, very durable uh, engine-wise. The, the bodies were a bit light and didn't, didn't always get the best uh, uh, underbody treatment. But by and large, if they were kind of maintained reasonably well, they were bulletproof. Yeah. But, you know, you were, you were talking there about West Limerick. I mean, there's a good buddy of mine up there, uh, Tom Culhane. Tom is a great, uh, and, and Eddie Kirby, uh, Kirby those guys are Hugely expert on Renault. Yeah. And Tom has a very fine example of Renault 12. I think it's a, it's a Kilkenny registered car. Uh, probably one of the few Irish registered original uh, Renaults um, around because, there, as you rightly said, there aren't that many Renaults uh, surviving yeah. and most of the ones that are are imports, you know. Yeah, of course. Renault 2, like I know you will say, uh, the, will say the Renault 18. I mean, my father had a what I would have referred to probably as a bog, a bog standard Renault 18. But mm-hmm. I remember, and a friend of ours, he was called to the house, he had a Renault 18 as well, but you can correct me on this now, Tony, was she an Americano? It was an Amer- uh, uh, American, no American, I think. It was an American. And like, 18 American, yeah. This, yeah. Was, this was a super you're getting, car. You're getting confused with the coffee, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But... This was this was a supercar, like they're they from from I suppose from a hundred feet away they looked to be the exact same car, but yes, the, yeah. the, the American had alloy wheels, it had different bumpers, it had a bigger yeah. engine, it had better interior. It was yeah. it was I suppose they they kind Renault kind of catered I suppose really and truthfully they catered for everyone. Ah uh, well they did, but a lot of the manufacturers did. I mean if you look at even cars like escorts and that they all you had the GL the GLS the this to that the other thing I mean with Renault you generally had the basic model which was an L you had a, G, a, a TL a GTL and a TS they mm. would be the kind of the main um, uh, what would you call it models or specs that you could get the TS being the sporty version of the saloon car but then again they had a number of uh, sporty cars as well with the 15 and the 17 and then later the Fuego yeah. uh, they were all very sporty cars uh, I think somebody referred to the Fuego as a poor man's Porsche 944 but you know they were a lovely car in their own way and the other thing then was with the different uh, phases they used to call them say, uh, say a 12 phase 1, 12 phase 2 uh, you might have had a face uh, a face up lift on them or you might have had a different size engine available or whatever yeah. but I tended to go for the the TS version in terms of the 12 and the 14 and uh, I mean they were a beautiful car uh, the TS version had an extra bit of pep in that maybe had a twin show carburetor they had you know they were very uh, that bit extra poke in them but uh, I always found Renault a very good car to handle and if you drove even the rear engine ones if you drove them hard into a corner you'd fly around the corner you yeah. know uh, but I always found them a very good car 
I have uh, a Renault 14 uh, Morgan, which is a very unusual car. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a kind of a collaboration between Renault and Peugeot, and uh, the, the, the engine would be common to some of the Peugeot cars as well, I'd say, uh, possibly the 108 at the time, Peugeot 108. But uh, the 14 was the first collaboration with uh, Renault and Peugeot. It's a transverse engine, which was tilted at about 70 degrees in the car, and it was hated by the Renault garages and mechanics, because if you can imagine, as you mentioned earlier, with the, say, the 12 and the all these cars, you could almost step inside into the engine bay and work on yeah. them. The 14 became a bit like the Minis. The, the, the engine bay was very, very um, tight to work on. And then the earlier models uh, had a problem with um, oil getting to the... Uh, the camshaft and they had difficulties with that but look I had a TS version of that a lovely lovely TS version of that I drove it for about 70 or 80 thousand miles over three years and apart from knocking, knocking the, the spoiler off the front with a couple of times because I was landing too hard mm. I never had the slightest problem with it and a mm. fantastic car and I have one of the probably the only one on the road in the country at the moment to have it here brilliant and of course like they are they are becoming without a doubt they are becoming very very collectible and very, very sought after by an awful lot of people compared to what they would have been, we'll say, even five, six, ten years ago. Like True, true. But they, to a certain extent, having said that, they are a niche car in the sense that they have their own kind of a niche following. And, uh, they, you know, but uh, I think the the sporty models and certainly the Gardini models will be long sought after. I mean, the... the the Renault Gardinis, whether they were the Dauphins or the 8s, particularly the 12s, uh, all of those were very, very successful in rallying. And yeah. uh, in actual fact, they were so successful that Renault actually took over the Gardini uh, business themselves and it was became incorporated in the uh, uh, inter-Renault organization. And I think they re- re- reintroduced it again there in the last 10, 10 or 12 years or so ago, you know, so you can get Pio Gardini's now as well, you know. Yeah. So, um, but they were, they were they were very sought after and very, very successful. And of course, then Renault were in a Formula 1 too. I mean, they had a very successful in Formula 1 and uh, uh, they also supplied engines to other uh, other uh, teams as well, you know, like I think Benetton might have been one of them and uh, Williams, I think, might have even been one of them. But so the Renault have been there to the forefront at the cutting edge of cars, I suppose, um, you know, since the very beginning almost, you know. They were, because I, you, I was doing a bit of research today and um, I was just going through Wikipedia and Google or whatever and I found that Renault was the best-selling car in New York in 1903 and 1905. And right, even right up to 1907 and 1908, they were the best-selling imported car. And yes. they also said as well, then in, in Paris and London, um, I suppose going back whenever, the, it was the very, very early years, um, Renault was the choice for the, the taxi man. Yeah, because, yes, yes, was Renault. The, you know, the Renault, uh, they were, compared to a lot of the American cars at the time, they would have been very frugal. They wouldn't have been using a lot of petrol. Yeah. And, you know, but uh, it's funny enough you should mention America because Renault also, there were Renault cars were assembled in America for a while and Renault had a, a collaborate. They actually had a, I think it was a um, American car, uh, uh, what do you call it? Anyway, AMC, 
American Motor Corporation or something they yeah. had a, 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 they were involved with them and I think they uh, also got involved with Mack Trucks I mean Renault also had a, a division for agricultural machinery and for trucks and indeed they were involved in the war effort as well with tanks and with uh, aircraft engines and stuff like that so I mean they've been very much involved in if you like the, the evolution of the internal combustion engine and the motor cars over over nearly 130 years now yeah, because I was telling you there, I have um, I have a bike here. It's belonged to a friend of mine. It's a Velo Solix. Oh, is that a little? Uh, is it is it a motorbike now? That one, it's, or is it a, a it's pedal a, bike? It's a pedal bike with an engine oh, up yeah. on the front wheel. I know the one with an e on it to engage yes. it. but when I, I when I looked up the history of that and I was looking it up online, um, Renault also had an association with that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and of course of more modern times. Renault is also an association now with Mitsubishi and Nissan. Yes. They're making small trucks. Well, yeah, I mean, and Nissan and Renault are, are, I don't know if it's Nissan or Renault or the other way around. Uh, but Nissan also, or uh, Renault also had an involvement with um, Volvo, you know, the collaboration with them. And then apart from that, then, I mean, they their cars were. The cars were assembled under license uh, and and uh, branded as Dacia in places like Romania and Bulgaria, and uh, I think most of their cars would have been assembled in places like uh, Australia and South America. Right, you know, okay, yeah. uh, they were yeah, they, they, they were so. I mean, they've been a very extensive, uh, if you like, global presence and uh, probably call them. Um, associations and amalgamations and cooperations and all the rest of it but they became a public company again in in the mid 90s uh, they were nationalized i think around during the war sometime uh, mm-hmm. by the french government that put it became a public company again but you know um i know there are lots of companies out there ford would be another one but i mean they're not all companies that started off over 120 or 30 years ago are still trading under their own name no they're not very very few of them are in all fairness yeah. And the other thing about Renault, I mean, uh, Renault Espace was another car that was way ahead of its time. Again, yeah. I suppose uh, reinforcing the uh, the the idea that uh, how innovative Renault were. Renault, I think, brought out the Espace sometime in the early eighties, and it, it was about it was probably the first European MPV, which is all the rage nowadays. But it was the first European MPV, way, way, way ahead of its time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know there have been lots of uh, derivatives from that down the years. The sixteen that they brought out then uh, was a very very popular car and um, very sought after car. It came in various guises, including an automatic. But uh, as I said, th- 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 they were way ahead of their time and all of us just slightly ahead of the curve. They were, yeah. In our fairness, like because I remember one of the Renaults my father had. Don't even ask me. It was possibly in eighteen, but. Like I was telling you, there after after the year, my father car about twelve months, and that was it. But I remember yeah. this car had electric windows. I I can't remember if they worked now or not. But I, it had all the gear. It had electric windows. It had alloy wheels. It had everything on it. And I remember um another individual that had a Renault, um wanted the alloy wheels off it, and my father yeah. swapped the alloy wheels, and so we were all we were all devastated. <laughs> Or I like wheels were carried. A different, different generation. If once it was a wheel under the car, your father was happy. Yeah, sure. He didn't care. He didn't care. That's right. Was, That's yeah, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. A different, different generation. But you know, um, you're like, you know something. 
with the old cars, I mean, I, I suppose most of the cars that I have, uh, you know, would be cars that have some association with my uh, with my with my youth, you know, cars I would have had at the time. But one particular one I have, in fact, in fact two that I had, one was a, a 60th birthday present from my family, which is uh, which was a lovely thing, and I wasn't expecting it. And uh, but uh, it was a, it's a lovely Hillman Mings convertible. Oh, very nice. Uh, yeah, very nice, 1960. Uh, and the second car then was, again, it was, you know, it's not Renault, but uh, I, I was very fond of the Austin Somerset and, uh, again, had fond memories of them from the 50s and early 60s. And when one came up, I saw it, and it was like an itch to have to be scratched. But I renovated that one from the ground up, and it was my daughter's wedding car, drove her to the church in it. You know, so it's nice little memories like yeah, that. brilliant. It's like a part of the family now, like. Well, it is. And in fact, for for her wedding, we had uh, three cars out. We had the Renault, the, the Hillman, and the um, Renault 10, the Hillman, and the Somerset. And, and my sons were driving them as well, you know. So, oh, yeah, it's nice. It's a, it's a nice kind of, it's a nice hobby as well, you know. Yeah, sure it is, of course. Like, like I've often said here, um, I, I mightn't know your name. I mightn't even know where you're from. But I when I see you at a vintage rally, I know your face. And yeah. I know you have a Renault or a tractor or whatever, like... You know, that's kind of the way it works, like. Well, it is indeed. And I mean, talking about the vintage rally in the clubs and that, I mean, that's very much part of the whole thing as well. I mean, there's a great camaraderie and friendship among vintage car owners. And, yeah. and, and you'll never find anyone who's reluctant to help out in any way. I mean, I've seen fellas, you know, go to extraordinary uh, lengths to try to help some fellow out of a yeah. problem or or something like that which is what it's all about you know oh, uh, sure, it's what it's all about you know that like there's there's an unbelievable friendship involved in the in the vintage society and now there's still a bit of competition and yeah. I, I still want my car to be slightly better than your car but you, i'm still going to help you and you're still going to help me it's just it, it, that's just the way it works yeah and you know the there's a Talking, come back to Renault briefly again. I mean, I had I had three Renaults. I sold one there some time ago, and what I always found going to shows and that, or to static shows, or even on runs, I'd probably be the only Renault there. Now at least I know there's going to be three or four Renaults at the different uh, shows from this year because uh, I have one, and I know another fellow will have one, and I know there's one being done up at the present time, and I know another fellow that bought an 18 there not so long ago. So hopefully there will be more than just one because when you go there and you're on your own and there's nobody to to, to chat with about your particular mark, uh, it can be a bit uh, a bit of a bummer. But I mean, having said that, I have a number of different cars so if I if there's no Renault guy there there's some fella there with an Aston or a Hillman yeah. or a Wolsey yeah, 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 yeah do you know I yeah. suppose just going back to funny stories about cars and my father he, he with several different Renaults but he had a Renault 12 and I remember mm-hmm. we used to go fishing back to Brandon in September for the mackerel and yes. I brought the big bag of fish into the boot of the car and you'd know this yourself the wheel, the spare wheel in the Renault 12 was standing on the side. Yeah, and yeah. that was grand. Next for a couple of weeks there, a couple of weeks, a couple of days, maybe a week after, the smell started to come in the car. <laughs> so the boot mat was taken out. I remember going on. The boot mat was taken out and the boot mat was washed. And yeah. the, everything was taken out of the boot and there was nothing. There was nothing to be found. So the car was put back together. It was obviously a bit of... I suppose seepage out of the fish. I apologise yeah. to anyone out that's eating their breakfast at the moment. But 
<laughs> eventually anyway there had to be more research done into what the smell or where the smell was coming from because it was getting worse by the day and yes. eventually my father took out the spare wheel well took out the spare yes. wheel and sitting yeah. inside in the well at the bottom of the spare wheel there was the remnants <laughs> of a very very much eaten mackerel Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just remember, I don't know what was worse at the time. I can't remember whether the smell of the rotten fish was worse or the smell of Jay's fluid afterwards. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, then. It was one or the other, like it was kind of uh, two, two, which is the, the better of the two evils, really. I know, yeah. Oh, something like that gets into a car and it's hard to get it. I actually found the mouse. A dead mouse in the ashtray in my car one day. Oh my God! I remember it for, I, and I had no idea, good, bad, or different, that uh, I had a mouse in the car. But I can only trace it back to well, probably went to the the local pump uh, or something uh, at, at some stage, and uh, there must have been a mouse or something in the in, in the bag. But anyway, I was sitting. I always remember I was sitting outside Smiths on Harcourt Street or on uh, Cunningham Road in Dublin, Smiths Garries, beside the bus depot there. The yeah. Bus. And for some reason, I just opened, it was around 14, actually, I opened the tray in the front, uh, the ashtray. Jesus, I said, what's that? A dead mouse inside this. Fully, he was fully, he hadn't, he hadn't, uh, decomposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, you get, you get funny stories, all right. But I was always wary of, of uh, mice and anything else getting into the car after that. Yeah, no, like, no, oh, yeah, no. God, no, I get the, I get the creeps. <laughs> But you know, Morgan, one car we didn't mention at all, and probably one of the, I think the, the, the one of the icons of the Renault uh, family would be the Renault Four. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that was uh, that was um, built for about thirty years uh, in in different guises in different countries. But it was a fantastic car. It was a fun car, and I remember driving one of those back in the seventies. And I mean, you, you'll really get a kick out of it, as I got a kick out of driving the 14 as well. But the Renault 4 was really, what would you call it, the, the people's car in France. It was used by farmers, by people going to markets, people going shopping. And of course, the suspension was very soft on it. And if you went around the corner, you could nearly be, you know, you could nearly be, uh, if you had your elbow to the window, you could nearly be like a motorcyclist with your elbow in the road yeah, because yeah. there was so much roll in them, you know. They were a fantastic car too, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. Like you the said, the car wouldn't have actually, uh, for us. We could get one of the early ones. Yeah, they were way ahead of their time. Like even suspension, like like go back to that time, the seventies and everything else. Like oh, I suppose England and Ireland, we we had the the escorts with leaf springs and coil springs and yeah, and like, yeah. Renault had this like, and they were so much ahead. They were so much they out were. there, like in forward-facing thinking, we'll say. Yeah, and what a lot of people might know was too that the uh, the the, the uh, wheelbase on uh, Renault uh, and many of the models was an inch shorter on one side and the other. All right, okay. And it was to do with the mounting, I think, of the anti-roll or the torsion bars or something like that. Yeah. But if you were to measure from a front centre hub to the back on the left-hand side and the right-hand side, it was about an inch or so in the difference there didn't affect the handling but I think it was literally a, a mechanical solution to uh, a job of, of, of trying to fit in I think with the torsion bars as far as I know yeah that's interesting them, you know. mm. many many uh, many the panel beater that probably tried to stretch that extra inch out of it and he couldn't get it 
I suppose many many of the fellas quite possibly put them on a jig to try to put them jig them back into place yeah, already. Yeah, the the, 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 the <laughs> chassis on one side was away away thinner than <laughs> <laughs> he'd be out there he'd be asking what the hell did you hit You're, the, the, the left hand yeah. side is an inch shorter than the right hand side <laughs> yeah, that's an a slap altogether oh there must be some potholes from our yeah, yeah, yeah. oh my god stop yeah, yeah. so Tony that's, that's kind of about it really Unless, have you any more to tell us about Renault yeah I know the, the only other thing I would say with Renault is like this uh, I, I found him a great car I still love tra- driving them Renault 10 to me is like a mountain goat and I nearly tackled Karen Tool in the one I have here yeah. she's just that kind of a car that you absolute confidence in to go anywhere and uh, uh, the 14 then is a car that hasn't a very high appeal I like it it's a it's, it's a more modern version if it had a fifth gear on it it'd be a very modern car but um, I suppose some of the happiest motoring I ever did over the years and I did a fair share of it would have been in a Renault 14 TS that I drove like a rally driver most of the time yeah. but uh, overall you know I, my experience with Renault has been generally pretty good I have to say I wouldn't be as enamoured with the modern Renaults because a, they're all computerised now and electronic and all the rest of it uh, but uh, anything pre kind of 1980 I would be very comfortable with and uh, would be quite happy to have any of them in the in the, in the the garage you know and of course you mentioned it there earlier on and of course we, we never got a chance to go back to it. Uh, Renault no you can correct me on this now, Tony. I think Renault actually own Dacia, don't they? They do, yes, yeah. So yeah, a, yeah. Anyone out there that's listening and you're driving a Dacia, you're really and truthfully driving a Renault. Absolutely, and there's very little difference really in them. Um, you know, Romania, I mean, I've seen Dacias in Romania and Bulgaria, and, uh, and I've seen, you know, they've been, they're, they're widely used over there. And in fact, there's a variant of the Renault 12. Uh, what they call a ute or a, a pickup mm-hmm. that I hadn't seen before, and uh, one with a twin cab as well. Oh. You know, and uh, she slightly longer wheelbase than the uh, the ones that are available here. I've never seen them in this country, but oh. I've seen them in in Romania, all right. Yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be very unusual if you could get it on a right hand drive. It would, it would indeed. But then again, it wouldn't be a huge job to convert them. Certainly, I say most of the. The parts are interchangeable, say, on the what's it called the Renault and, and the Dacia. So, if anybody was really interested in it, you could um, you could probably do that. But then, most a lot many people now are quite happy to drive left-hand drive cars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so, yeah. They are, yeah. You know, most people now don't take any notice of it. Like, you know, one time it was a it was a big thing a couple of years ago, twenty years ago, but it's it's not yeah. anymore. Like. No, that that that's really it. But as I say, anybody interested in getting into classic cars that, I mean, the Renault is not a bad car to get involved in. And certainly mm-hmm. uh, something like a, a 12, 4, a 12, a 10, uh, you know, is uh, their cars that are very easy to, to work on. Their parts are generally available for them, you know, and um, they're uh, probably a good classic for someone to get involved in initially. Anyway, and not anything nearly as expensive as some of the more. No. You know? No, so like some of the other cars there, some of the Fords and stuff, they are going to be lottery money now at this stage. Like, well, they are, you know, and you'd have to want. I mean, it's like everything else. Uh, it's demand, it's supply and demand, and, yeah. uh, and people obviously, you know, with the likes of the Mark One escorts and that, and particularly a two door version, they're very sought after for, yeah. for any cars yeah. and that. Yeah. But I tell you, um, Renault Twelve Gardini, 
or a, a Dauphine Gardini, you know, for someone old enough to remember them. And they're also very sought after car. And as I said, there's a big fun one for them in England, particularly. And, uh, you know, the club over there now, the, the Renault Classic Car Club and Renault uh, Owners uh, Club, uh, they would have quite a number of members with uh, uh, those cars, those particular ones, you know. Oh, brilliant, yeah. Do you know what I suppose? Like, but I suppose, Tony, you were saying there about Renaults and about classic cars. Would you recommend it to someone? Would you recommend someone to go out if they had a slight, slight bit of an interest and to buy a classic car? Or would you tell them to stay away from it? Oh, I would absolutely tell them to go out and get a classic car. The only advice I give them is don't get if we, don't let your first car be a restoration project. By all means, get one that might be a running restoration. But fellas go out there and they see the car and they have all these big ideas about uh, restoring them and the best of ideas. But I tell you, when you dismantle something and all the bits are lying around the place, after the first three or four months, you're browned off. Whereas at least if you have a car that you can drive and pull into the garage or into the shed and do a bit of work on it and go out and drive in it again. So what I'm suggesting is just buy something that's usable, uh, if you want to buy a very good one, that's fine. If you want to buy a rolling restoration, that's also fine. Whatever suits your uh, particular uh, pocket. But don't, as a first car, buy a total restoration job because I would say 99 times out of 100, most of those don't get finished. No, they don't. Tony, if you can stay there for a few more minutes, we might just take another quick ad break and we, no we'll come back to you again. Hi, folks, you're tuned to West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Morgan O'Flaherty. And we've Tony Darmody on with us this morning, and we're we're talking about Renault. Hey, okay. folks, you're very welcome back to Western Mac 102 FM. Um, this morning we're on with Tony Darmody, and we're talking about Renaults and classic Renaults and Renaults. And just before we went off air, there, Tony, we were we were talking about. I suppose, would you recommend? No, it doesn't have to be a Renault. Would you recommend to maybe some of our listeners that might be considering buying a classic car, would you recommend them going down that line? I absolutely would. I think that, uh, you know, if you have any kind of an interest in cars at all, getting involved with classic cars is uh, a fantastic thing to do. It's uh, a great outlet. It has a number of uh, benefits by the person the car at all. It's got the social aspect of it and the shows and all the rest of it. I'd love to see younger people getting involved in it. Uh, I'm afraid, like, particularly with the older cars, I suppose the concern that I would have is just that, uh, the younger people tend to be more interested in the kind of 80s and 90s cars, which are their classics, and I understand it. But I'd love to see some younger people taking an interest in the older ones as well, because we would hate to see the cars of either the pre-war cars or certainly the post-war cars of the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s uh, disappearing off the scene. Yeah. But I suppose the one bit of advice, Marvin, that I would give anybody uh, getting involved with uh, taxi cars for the first time is... Do not buy a total restoration job. Yeah. Don't buy something that's coming in boxes. Uh, buy a car that is either restored and all you can you can enjoy it and maintain it, or buy a car that's a rolling restoration. In other words, it's usable, but you might uh, do running repairs on it. You might want at some stage maybe to respray it or something like that. But I've seen uh, many projects uh, starting off with the greatest of intentions and the uh, heap of boxes that arrive are mm-hmm. still a heap of boxes many years afterwards and people mm-hmm. are... So it's important, you know, in order to keep your interest going and even to allow you to go to shows and that uh, with your own car to have something that is usable uh, as well, you know, as maybe a, a rolling restoration. Yeah, because, you know, you're on about it there now, you know, like, 
suppose it's hard to believe it, like, but we say 1990 now is 30 years ago. So anything, right, yeah. once you buy a 1990 car, you're going to get vintage and classic insurance in it. Yeah. Something that 1990 mightn't appeal to you, but I suppose for my, my two cents in this is that, like, I, I know a fellow that bought an absolutely fantastic car. Now, he had the money, more power to the man, fair play to you. He bought a Model T. And yes. Absolutely brilliant car. I drove it once, but it, it was an experience to drive it. But it is, yeah. the car, the car to me is no good because he can't really take it any place. He can't yeah. go any place with it to a certain degree. Um, but I'd be kind of like what you said. I'd be buying if I was buying a vintage car. I'd be buying something we say nineteen fifties onwards. Yes. You know, no, you're right. Yeah, you're right there, Morgan. I mean, the Model T is a lovely car. The Model T, though, is a is a, a totally different experience. The Model T is almost like a vocation that yeah. you know you take it on, and you 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 know you have to trailer it anywhere you want to go. If you want to be a, a, have a Model T, there's very good support out there. There's clubs out there, and that. And I've seen Model Ts do road runs that I've been involved in, and my I take my hat off to the people involved. Uh, they're fantastic people, but no, they're not certainly not a beginner's. Uh, uh, classic. I think anybody uh, should really consider getting something that is more usable and uh, uh, you know, and one that um, maybe you can keep them dry out of the weather as well. Uh, and, and and you'd have to, you'd nearly have to be ta- you, well. You would have to be shown how to drive a Model T. It's a totally different driving mm-hmm. experience than uh, and that. Uh, but again, the Model T has gone back to the early part of the last century, and and that's you know so. Um, yeah, it's a Model T to me. I, I wouldn't mind having a Model T, but it'd be more out of an interest uh, in in the mechanics of the time rather than the car that I would be hawking around the place to shows and that on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. You see, like yeah. you said, every place you go, then it has to. Well, unless it's very local, it's going to go yeah. there up in a trailer. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's a bit like a tractor. I mean, the same thing with the tractors. And I mean, there's a huge following for tractors around the place. Yeah. But uh, really, you know, you have to really have a, a, a trailer for it to travel any distance anyway with, with them, you know. But Whereas with a 50s, 60s or 70s car, I mean, I've been in places like, uh, you know, uh, Kilkenny and uh, Nina and Limerick and all over the Corkham places. And I mean, I'd often leave here and uh, by the time I get back with one of the cars, you'd have a 150-mile round trip done. Uh, I, I think now you'd want to be taking a week off work after doing that in the Model T. Yeah, oh, for definite, and a week off before it, and a week to do it, maybe. <laughs> but yeah. that's not to say, you now, there are, I, I think the, there, there are a lot of people who are interested in sort of what I call the veteran cars of that era and fair play to them, but certainly not an entry-level uh, classic. That's the No, definitely not. And like you said, don't buy something yeah. that's going to be a nut and bolt restoration. Oh, I've had it. I've seen it happen so many times, and fellas start off with the best of enthusiasm. And uh, whereas, if you have a car that at least you can take out, if you want to do a second one and get something that has an up and bolt restoration attached to it, that's fine. But don't get something that you're looking at for four or five years and saying this will never get off the ground because you'll get tired of it and get ground off of it. You do, yeah, you know? and you'll get tired of it very. Do you know what? If you probably had a run of the mill car, and then you start to go into vintage rallies. You you meet people that will have cars for sale, and yeah. you'll also meet people that will give you very very worthy advice, and yes. you'll meet fellas that'll tell you okay if you buy this you can get parts 
You can't get parts for that. You, Johnny yeah. up the road has a scrapped one, and you know that's what that's how it works, really. Like. That's how it works, and that's the benefit of going to shows. That's the benefit of being in um, in uh, vintage club, uh, classic car club, and all the rest of it. As I said, there's tremendous uh, assistance and help out there. And if whatever problem you have today, some of the lads have had it before you, and uh, they know either how to start it or maybe a shortcut around it or whatever. Yeah. But the other, going back for a brief little moment there, uh, Morgan, we, we kind of just mentioned the more modern classics. I think it's great to see the young people involved uh, in the 80s and 90s and Nazis cars uh, I mean they're the classics of the future and the um, commitment that some of those young lads have yeah. young girls have to those cars and the condition that they have them in I mean I just stand back in awe at them you know and I, I met a number of them now at shows recently and I, I love to have a chat with them and, and that and I'd be interested I, I wouldn't be interested in buying a, a modern classic let's say but I would be interested in you know what a man, uh, what a man might have done, or uh, done to us, or yeah. that, and, and we have to encourage that as well. But as I said, uh, I am a little bit concerned about the cars of the of sort of the fifties, sixties, seventies, and eighties, and hopefully there will be uh, someone there that will be interested in, in in keeping them going, because it would be a pity to lose them uh, that part of our motoring history. You know, there will, of course, and you know what, like you, like yourself, I hope there will be someone there to do it because, um. I suppose going back to the Model T, like the Model T, like I said, you'd probably buy a Model T now for maybe it's still a lot of money. I never built a Ford to buy one. We'll say for about fifteen, twenty thousand euros. But yes. going back ten or fifteen years ago, they were probably nearly double that. Yeah. I suppose yeah. you see the people that want them, the elderly, the elderly, elderly man, they had them and remembers them. They're gone now. And people are people are kind of going to buy the car that they grew up with more than anything else. Well, yeah, there's a bit of that in it, and uh, there's certainly, and that would be my own case. I mean, the cars I have would be from the fifties to the eighties, and they're cars that I either would have owned or have had some sort of personal experience of, and that would mean something to me. But having said that, there are also there's a there is a good interest in the pre-war cars as well and the veteran cars, but it will be a much smaller interest, and there will be fewer of them around. But it's lovely to see a car of say uh, the nineteen hundreds or the nineteen twenties. And it's out there, and there's somebody there, and generally the people that have them are very, very committed to them, and they're dressed out in the uh, the clothes or the costumes of the of the era, and they're really, really committed in them. But uh, they tend to be, uh, you know, kind of an older age group, all right. Yeah. Uh, you know. But uh, yeah, but look, it takes all kinds. I mean, I hear some people talking about the younger uh, generation and the cars that they have an address with. We were young one time too, and uh, we have to appreciate what they're doing. And as I say, I respect them very much uh, for the uh, way they present their cars and the interest they have in it. It's a different interest uh, in cars and the interest that we would have in cars, but nonetheless, it's a very legitimate uh, interest as well. Oh, it is, yeah. And you know what? It's it's fantastic. It's it's brilliant. It was like I got an off lot of. I'm I'm a tractor man myself, but I got an off lot of car runs and tractor runs and sometimes you'll have a car and tractor run inside in the same field but like yes. you have to admire the work whether it be a 1950s or 60s or a, or a Model T or a 1990 Toyota Corolla do you know yes. some, yeah. of the, some of these cars would be absolutely immaculate and it's, yeah. it's night after night after night outside in the shed polishing and cleaning and do you know what it's brilliant because I remember it we said 20, 20, 25 years ago, 
even go back to changing the gearbox in in that Volvo car. Like, I remember, it, it was brilliant, but there'd be a gang of us inside in the shed, and we'd be all looking under the bonnet of the car. None of us had a clue what we were doing. But you know yeah. what? We made some brilliant friends out of it. Oh, there's no question about it. And, uh, you know, and I mean, you're right. And the other thing, while I think of it, because, uh, you know, is that most cars from the 90s on are almost the same. You nearly have to look at the batch and all what they are. Yeah. And the, the cars from, you know, pre-war uh, veteran cars and certainly the cars from the 50s on, they've all, they're all very unique in terms of their design and details and all the rest of it. And if you saw an Aston Somerset on the road, you you knew that well it wasn't a Cartina. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, vice versa. So yeah. uh, that's the, you know, it's important therefore that we preserve the those some of the cars, uh, say, of the uh, the post-war cars uh, to just to keep that uh, motoring history intact because it is the same as, you see, the modern car is designed in uh, by computer. And if I get the wing coefficient on my car right, uh, it has to be the same shape for the next car. Otherwise, it won't be right, if you know what I mean. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Because, uh, the, the cars of the, we're talking about, the 50s and 60s, they were all designed on, on uh, boards and uh, drawings and uh, model uh, timber makeup models and all the rest of it. And they were tested for many, many thousands of miles, you know, uh, tweaked over the years. So, I mean... It's a, it's a different era. It's a different era. The, the young yeah. people of today are of their time, and their cars are the modern cars. Our era is the kind of the post-war fifties and sixties cars. And yeah. uh, you know, there's, my attitude is live and let let live, and respect for everybody's particular taste. Correct, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. And you know what? Long may it last. And, and, and absolutely. I, and I don't know whether we're going to have vintages this year or tractor runs or car runs this year, but sure, look, it'll be all good in the finish and we'll all get back out there again. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, we mightn't have the, you know, the same numbers that we had uh, a couple of years ago. But, you know, even during the past year, we managed to get out for a couple of runs, uh, maybe a few cars going off together and that, and, and socially distancing and not doing the usual socialising that we yeah. would normally do. But we got out anyway and we saw the country and saw the world. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. And, and a great, you, get a, you get a great satisfaction, at least I do, uh, when somebody stops you or you're stopped and somebody goes over here. My uncle had one of those, or my father had one of those. God, I remember driving those. Oh, Jesus, they were a bitch to start. We had to push it every morning. This kind of stuff. I get a great satisfaction out of that. People noticing the old car and appreciating yeah. them for what they were, you know? Yeah, they're going, just what you said there about pushing the car. I remember yeah. my father had a Fiat 127. And right. every morning, every push morning pushing the car. Fix it remember, again tomorrow. We push it every day, maybe a couple of times a day. But you're yeah. right. Yeah. All it was was a new set of points and a condenser. But yeah, I'd say, that was it. Yeah, that was it. I'm sure if you packed it on the father ground, it was grand. <laughs> yeah, but I'd say the mechanic we were carrying it only barely knew how to change the plugs. So well, <laughs> yeah, that, that's what he threw. And I mean, the same thing applies though today too, because I remember seeing a vintage car or a classic car parked up in a place. Uh, some years ago, and I went into the, the garage and I said to your man, I said, I see that car parked there, boy. I wonder what's wrong with it. Aren't you? I can't get it started at all. I feel it brought it to me. I can't get it going. And I'm sick of it. And I said, would your man be interested in selling this? Well, he says he might. There's his number. Anyway, to make a long story short, I phoned him. The deal was done and I collected the car. And I say within 
two evenings and the car started. The mechanic hadn't a clue because he hadn't sent anything to plug into it. Yeah. And he couldn't put something in. And he really, genuinely, and I'm not being critical no. of the mechanic, he yeah. a more mechanic, and really did not know. Uh, when you look at the mechanics of the old days and the mechanics of today, I mean, mechanics today is about fitting and diagnosing and fitting. Yeah. Uh, there's no such thing as repairing or, you know, uh, setting plugs and points and timing and all the rest of it, you know, so. No, it's, 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 all done, it's all done by computer. It's all done by computer, and I suppose a fella told me the last day he said that um, I know it was probably in a lot more cars but he was telling me about a, a Mercedes he said that yeah. there's a new type of Mercedes there now and if, the, if there's something wrong with the engine of the car or whatever the diagnostics in the car will send an email yes. or to your local Mercedes dealership so yeah. when you bring the car in for your whatever your monthly or your yearly service um the dealership will already know what's to be done in the car. Yeah, well, I tell you, the other side of that, though, Morgan, I mean, I had a situation where the diagnostics of my everyday car indicated that it needed a timing chain. And what it said was possible cause timing chain extension. Now, I knew the timing chain was perfect in the car, but I had no choice but to... uh, to change it because if something happened, if there, there, I would just been told, sure, look, we told you. But anyway, change it cost me, the whole thing cost me about 1,300 euro. Oh, God, yeah. The problem wasn't solved. The problem wasn't solved. And the problem was that see, the, the DPF light was coming on and stayed on in the car. I eventually drove the car at a fairly lively pace uh, between Killarney and Dublin. And when I got to Dublin, switched off and switched on the car again, the problem was solved. So what I'm saying is it's a diagnosis is right. Is all right, but they don't always get it right, no. and they have the comfort of saying, "Well, it might be that, but if it's not that, it'll be this and be right." Just that another thing. Whereas in the old days, you opened the bonnet, the car wasn't starting; it was either electrical ignition or fuel problem, and you dealt with it. Yeah, I saw I saw a mechanic one time, and he had a stethoscope. The other thing, the doctor will do. To yeah, listen to yeah, him. yeah, yeah, and yeah. I remember looking at him like, "What was this fellow? This fellow's after losing the plot." But no, a man told me. He was listening to the cams, he told me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They used to do as well for the balancing the carburetors, but yeah, listening to the cams, yeah. The, yeah. They, they could detect noises, you see. They could detect the different uh, noises and they'd know whether there might be something loose or rattling or something, yeah. Yeah, do you know what, like, that, that's gone. That's gone. That'll oh. never again be there, like. No, uh, it won't be ever there again, no, unfortunately. But mm. uh, but look, there's still a few, there's still quite a lot of lads around that still have that knowledge. And that's what I'd love to see uh, the younger generation getting involved, say, with some of the uh, older guys and, and girls involved in the, in the classic car because they learn an awful lot. And there's great fun in maintaining, physically maintaining a, a mechanical device yeah. that can get walked on with a, a screwdriver and a, and, a, and a spanner and getting it right and running right as opposed to plugging it in and pressing buttons, you know. Yeah, and you but, know, uh, I think there's great satisfaction as well about going to a show, whether it be a tractor show or a car show or whatnot, and something yeah. will ask you, do you do that yourself? Correct, yeah, you get a bit of satisfaction out of yeah. that too. And, uh, but, uh, and, and you know, some, it's a very nice thing to ask somebody because... Even if they haven't done it, they'll explain the situation, and you're not in any way taking the wind out of their sails. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, you you kind of say, "Yeah, that's fantastic," and that car is running like a, a sewing machine. Yeah. Uh, did you did you did you just at yourself or had you some way of doing it? You know, and if you get that kind of conversation going, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. 
anyway, that's it, Morgan. That's, uh, that's it, Tony. And come here. Thank right. you very much for coming on with us. That's all. I'm delighted to talk to you and anytime. We will we'll book you in again for a, a future program if that's okay with yourself. I'm uh, delighted to. I love talking about the cars, and uh, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, there's some, uh, and particularly with somebody who's interested in, and that's it's, it's it's great, it's great, yeah. Brilliant, Tony. Thank you. Love you, Morgan. Thanks a million. Love you, talk to you. Hi folks, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, that was Tony Darmody there from Killarney. Tony, oh my God, a mind of information when it would come down to Renault or our vintage cars and so on and so forth. Tony, thank you again. You were brilliant. Thanks for your hour. Um, I hope you enjoyed that, folks. Um, like I said before, if you have a car out there that you'd like us to talk about, drop us a line here at West Limerick Radio in Newcastle West. Put it down care of myself or or Patrick Sheehan, um, that'll get to us, and look, we, we'll do our best, um, like that, thanks again, thanks again to Tony, that's kind of it for myself, just keep an eye on the podcasts, um, if you have someone in Dublin, England, Donegal, America, wherever they are, and if they have a Renault car, or a Ford car, or whatever car they want, um, tell them, get onto the podcast, very easy to find it, go into your search engine, Google, or, or, or Spotify, or whatever, or whatever, Anchor FM, whatever you want to use, and type in Morgan O'Flaherty, Country Life, and you'll get up to podcasts. And like like the rest of the shows, this show will be going up in um, a podcast today, hopefully about 12 o'clock, all going well. That's all thanks to Patrick. Patrick does the, the editing and the sewing and the knitting together, and he puts it all together and he makes us um, sound some bit professional. Thanks again for that, Patrick. So that's it for myself until next week. Um, the plan for next week, we're not a thousand percent too sure on the plan yet. Um, the plan, the plan, is, I have kind of two plans. One plan is we're going to talk to Dave Corn about the Reliant Robin. Um, and the other thing I can't talk about, we have another um, individual that's going to come on with us. But look, um, tune in next Friday morning again, a little after eight o'clock. Um, to see what's the goings on and what we're going to talk about, um, we have to try and get in a couple of tractor people because we're 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 going mad in cars. We've all cars with the last um couple of days, and of course, then again, check out the YouTube channel, um, Morgan O'Flaherty. That that'll find me. I have a couple of videos up there of uh, one of the Velo Solix. Um, we were talking about that during the show. They have a connection with Renault, little bike with an engine up on the front wheel. Um, there's a couple of tractor videos up there and so on and so forth. Um, if you are on it, like it, subscribe to the channel, hit the bell and the notifications, and so look, we will get going eventually. We we we'll be very <laughs> we'll be very professional this time next year. You have been listening to Country Life, Morgan O'Flaherty on West Limerick One Hundred Two FM.